Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And all of you who are worshiping with us online, we're so grateful that you're back. I understand that hundreds of you, I mean hundreds and hundreds of you, maybe even thousands of you are coming week after week after week after month after month. I I am so grateful. I am so grateful that you are with us so consistently and here you are back again and we thank God for you. We're teaching the word of God here. We're just knowing that it's the Bible that changes our lives. The Holy Spirit using God's word begins to change us from the inside out. And we're wanting you to know about God, how to have a relationship with him and how to live this life the way that we were intended. Now, I want to encourage you with something. If you are worshiping with us online and and maybe you can someday, at your own timing, whenever it is right for you, we would love for you to come to one of our campuses around this Sugarland area in Richmond, Rosenberg, Missouri City. If you would come to one of our campuses and meet us and us meet you. I gotta tell you, you're gonna find a group of people, whichever camp you should go to, that will treat you with kindness and love and will just are just the most wonderful people you've ever met. And we would love for you to join us someday. And I hope that you'll choose to do that. We can't choose when we go through hard times. Hard times just come. We, we can't choose when the hard times will come, but we can choose our reaction to the hard times, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Elon Musk is one of the richest people on the face of the earth, maybe the richest person, I don't know. He is the guy that he's considered to be one of the greatest out-of-the-box thinkers, one of the most innovative people uh, in the world. He's the guy that uh, created Tesla, the uh, electric vehicles uh, company, and, and uh, SpaceX, and he, this guy is just pretty amazing. But his life wasn't always amazing. In fact, his own words, telling his own story about his life is, he said, I can summarize my entire childhood. All that I can remember of being a child, I can condense it to two words, non-stop horrible. Non-stop horrible. Now, look, probably most kids from time to time would say my life right now is non-stop horrible. I certainly felt that there's some times as I was growing up. But to become an adult and look back with different eyes and to say my whole life, my whole upbringing, non-stop horrible. Boy, it takes your, your heart goes out to this guy. He's rich, but this guy has been through it. What he said is that one of the things that he struggled with in his life was constant bullying. And I don't know where, what his environment was and why it was there, but one of the stories that he said is that one day, a group of bullies that would harass him on a regular basis one day pushed him down a staircase. I want you to imagine falling downstairs. You can die this way, but it stunned him. It didn't kill him. But when he got to the bottom of the stairs, he said, they began to beat on me and kick me to the point that they knocked me out. And the next thing he knew, he was in the hospital. But not everything was terrible. Something unique happened to him when he was 10 years old. He said he was introduced to his first computer at 10 years of age. And he said, what 
what the manufacturer's paper said that within six months you should have learned this much he had learned in three days and he said he realized as a little kid as 10 years of age that he had a special gifting he he had an a, unusual ability and a passion toward all of this uh, computer age uh, environment that he had grown up in and he said it was the passion of his life and when he became a young adult, he could have decided, hey, I am just a victim. Of all I've gone through in my life, I'm just a victim. But instead, he refocused his life. He took his strengths. He took his opportunities. And his life was totally changed. And the rest is history. Daniel was exactly the same way. The same thing happened to him. Hard times can either make us or break us. And the person who decides which one will win, the make or break in your life is you. You and I choose how we will respond to life and all of the struggles that we experience. And that was true for Daniel. Here is a guy, if there's anybody that could have played the victim, it was Daniel. They had stolen him from his parents and they had taken him a thousand miles away to Babylon, to the strange country. He and a whole group of these young Jewish teenagers there to learn a different language and speak that language the rest of his life. Never see his parents again. Never see his homeland again. If there's anybody that could have been the victim, it was Daniel, but he chose not to do that. He chose to see God in the midst of it all and see what God would do in and through his life. This morning, we are taking the next step in the book of Daniel. We're looking at the first six chapters in the book of Daniel together. The reason is that there's 12 chapters in the book, but the last six are about prophecy. One day we'll go through, through that section too. But this first six chapters are really about one abiding theme, standing strong. And this morning, I want to talk to you about how to deal with hard times in a right way. And I want us to see how Daniel does it. Here is Daniel. He's been kidnapped along with Jewish, other Jewish young leaders. He, he's the son of a nobleman there in Jerusalem. They were all sons of people in leadership. They were stolen, taken back to Babylon to be reprogrammed brainwashed to begin thinking like a Babylonian thinks to, to separate them from these the God of of uh, the Israelites to and to separate them from the Bible and to to um, totally immerse them into Babylonian culture so that they would become the leaders that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon wanted them to be and a three-year program of brainwashing but Daniel it never took Daniel refused it. Now, what is happening in the story as we have arrived at chapter two of Daniel is that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, but it's not an ordinary everyday dream. Unbelievably, it is God who has given Nebuchadnezzar this dream. And in this dream, it is a revelation that is one of the greatest prophetic revelations in the entire Old Testament about the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. 
And he is giving it to King Nebuchadnezzar, an unbeliever, a guy who doesn't even know God. And God gives to him this dream. Next week, we'll look at the dream. It's pretty amazing. But this morning, I want us to look at the backstory around it because what happens in the backstory is amazing as well. Daniel takes this moment and it presents to him a life or death moment. And I want us to see how Daniel responded. How do you respond in a right way to wrong things, bad things, hurtful things that go on in your life? Well, the first principle that we learn in the passage is simply this, that tough times are opportunities to see God in action. So notice what he says in Daniel chapter two, verse one, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled. He could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Now, all these people that he brings in, all of these are considered to be the wise men, the magi the wise men of Babylon, and they come in, and he says, I've got, had this dream, I want you to interpret it. Well, that's no big deal to these guys. What, what the Bible doesn't reveal, but archaeology does, archaeological digs in that whole region of, of Babylon that, by the way, has uncovered all this stuff about Nebuchadnezzar and all the other kings that followed him, and it follows exactly the Bible. All of this stuff that they've learned, one of the things they discovered was a reference to dream manuals. And an explanation that dream manuals were things that they had devised, they had put together, that all you have to do is listen to a dream and you you hear different components of the dream and then you cross-reference those components and voila, here is your interpretation of the dream. Now, is it a right interpretation? Who knows? Who, who, who knew it wasn't? So when the king comes with, I've had a dream, I need an interpretation, no big deal. Tell us about the dream. We will cross-check it. We'll tell you what the dream meant. But the problem was Nebuchadnezzar couldn't remember the dream. He just remembered that it bothered him so deeply. He couldn't remember the dream. Haven't you ever had a dream you couldn't remember? Oh, I've I've told Kathy just a few weeks ago, I had a most amazing dream. I just can't remember it now. Have you ever had this? I just can't remember it. Well, he couldn't remember his dream. So here's what he said to these guys. I pay you a lot of money. So I want you to tell me what I dreamt and then interpret the dream. And I'm going to give you an incentive program. Verse five of Daniel chapter two, the king replied to the astronomers, astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces. (laughs) I'm gonna have you all cut up into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But I do have some good news to share with you. If you do tell me my dream and explain it, you'll receive gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Is this not ridiculous? So how could he get away with such a ridiculous thing? He's the king. Well, they can't do this. 
And they tell him that. Uh, Verse 10, the astrologers answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can do what the king is asking. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. In Babylon, there was a whole slew of gods. They weren't gods. They were piles of rocks and sticks. Pieces of wood, that's all they were. They didn't have anything, but they do not live among men. Well, they got one thing right. Only God, the God of the universe could do such a thing. None of them could do it. So the king says, okay, all of you die. Now, the bad thing here is not only all these guys gonna die, but meanwhile, between chapter one and two, Daniel has been promoted to the position of wise man. It's just one year later, he's been promoted to wise men and so have at least three of the other Jewish young men who have been captured. Uh, They're probably interns. They're probably just getting started kind of thing, but now they all die too. So the executor arrives at Daniel's house and says, it's time to die. And Daniel says, what? How in the world could God have allowed such a ridiculous thing to happen? Haven't you asked that question in your own life too? Things have happened, it doesn't make any more sense than this makes, and you don't understand it. And God, how in the world, if you love me so much, how in the world could you have allowed this to happen to me? Why didn't you stop this? Why why didn't you change this? And I know my answer is not going to satisfy everyone. I totally understand it wouldn't satisfy everything that I've experienced either. But sometimes God allows the impossible to happen so that he can do a miracle in your life. The only reason you need a miracle is because you need one. You can't do it, you can't overcome it, you can't produce the solution, you can't make it, you got to have God intercede. And sometimes God brings us in a situation, doesn't make any sense, I can't change this, I need a miracle, and God comes through. I've seen him do it and you have too. But he doesn't always do a miracle. There are some times that God puts a closed door in front of us that makes no sense whatsoever to stop us dead in our tracks and we just know I got to get on the other side of this door. But God intends to redirect our path because he sees what's ahead. He knows that's not the best for us. There is another direction he wants us to go, but there is no amount of convincing he could give to us except just to stop us dead in our tracks. Oh, God, open this door. Oh, God, let me keep going. And he will not do it. Oh, God, do a miracle. He will not do this because he intends to redirect our path. But sometimes God puts us in tough situations so that we can see God at work in our life. But there is another thing Sometimes God puts these things in our lives so that we can see ourselves, that our response to tough times reveals who we really are. 
We've been studying the Bible. We've been trying to grow. We've been trying to learn more and more. But how much have we actually learned? Well, we won't know until we're tested. And God will bring things into our life that brings us right square into a test. And it's then how we respond, what we do, that we discover just how much we've grown, just exactly who we are. Now, there are, th- there are three responses that God, in this passage of Scripture through Daniel's life, is showing us how he wants us to respond. So let's take a look at what happens to Daniel and see if his response is what God is telling you to do in this moment in your life that you are going through. The first one is this. He is saying what Daniel shows us is take a God view of this situation. Take a God view. So here is this executioner. He's arrived at the door, knocked at the door. I've come to kill you. What? Why? And, he, and this executioner tells him the story. Well, this is what happened, and you, you guys blew it, and now all of you wise people have got to die. Now, Daniel responds to him, and he says, look, what is being asked nobody could do, but there is a God in heaven. And I know this God. I have a relationship with this God. And this God could do what the king is requesting. There isn't anybody else that's going to be able to get this done. Would you allow me to have an audience with the king? And of all things, it was allowed. I mean, after all, if this may be the only guy, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, allows Daniel to come and have an audience before him. And Daniel asks him, what is the story? And the king tells him what the story is. And Daniel then asks of the king, would you give me some time? I will go to the Lord, my God. I will ask him if he will reveal this to me. And Nebuchadnezzar gives him the time. Now, I want you to stop for a moment, and I want you to think. You remember last week, we saw these, Daniel's just a teenager. What, he's 13, 14, 15? We don't know how old he is, but he's a teenager. Daniel chapter 2, he's one year older. So what, now he's 14? 15, 16? And here is this guy, this teenage guy. And he has just stood in front of the most powerful man on the face of the known world. You talk about courage. And he says to the king, I know God, the God of the universe. Give me some time. And here's what I want to say to every teenager that is in this room. Don't, you don't have to wait until you're a grown-up to trust God. You can trust God right now. Every child in this room, you don't have to wait until you're older to trust God. You don't have to wait to act like you're grown up with God. You can do it now. You can trust God now. You can be used by God now. It is amazing how God could use you no matter what your age is. In fact, let me tell you, the younger you are, the more you're more liable to trust God. You're more free to trust God because you don't have all this other junk that you start acquiring in your life telling you doubts. You trust God no matter how old you are and let God use you. You can be a grown-up Christian right now no matter what your age. And that's exactly what happens to Daniel. Whatever age he is, 14, 15, whatever he is, 
And he says, would you give me a chance to get in front of my God? And Nebuchadnezzar allows him to do it. Now, there's four things. I'm giving you all these things. But there's now four things that will help us take a God view. Four things that we see in Daniel that helped him take a God view. Instead of yielding to his fear, he pushes the fear away. And here's what happens when a threat comes against you. First, seek out the best information that you can find to help you accurately understand the who, what, when, where, and how. Here's what I'm trying to say. Daniel, 15 years old, you could imagine was over, could be overwhelmed with fear. But instead, he keeps his composure and he seeks out the answer to or the, the problem, the information about the problem can't solve a problem you don't understand. Sometimes what we do is we react emotionally to problems when we don't actually understand the problem. And the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to clearly understand the issue that is in front of us. The who, what, when, where, and how. And that's what Daniel does when he goes in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. There's a second thing that then happens. Find supportive relationships who can stand with you in the crisis. That is the next thing Daniel does. Daniel chapter 2 verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained this matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, it sounds like a southern guy trying to say Mishael. Mishael, but it's Mishael and Azariah. We don't know these three names. The reason is these are the three Hebrew names of the three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He went to those three guys and he shared with them what happened. Why is this so important? He had three guys that he could go to who knew God and loved God. They're teenagers. They're friends. But they had the same world view. The same godly world view that he had. His world view came from the Bible. Their worldview came from the Bible. He went to three other people who saw life and saw God and saw the world through the eyes of the same God. He went to three people who could be a support to him. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And not just a man, but a woman. And not just a man or a woman, but a teenager and a child. No matter who you are, be around individuals who know your God, who love your God, who talk like you are there to, supposed to talk in front of that God, who have the same view of the world that God has given in his word. You find three or four or however many people who share that worldview, there's gonna be power with that. Iron sharpens iron. And Deuteronomy 32 verse 30, one man can put a thousand to flight, but two men, 10,000. That doesn't make any sense at all. One man can put a thousand to flight, two men can put 2,000. No, two like-hearted people can put 10,000 
Why? Because it's called synergy. It means a power that is greater than the sum total of the individual parts. Because you've invited God into the moment. It's synergy. And you get with a group of people that know God, love God. And when you're going through hurt and struggle and hardship, you come together with that group. We call that group at Sugar Creek a connect group. A connect group. That's the whole reason. You may have people in your life. These are my friends. I can go to them. But the connect group is a group of people that know God, love God, have the same view of the world that you have. And there's power in that. This last week, uh, Pastor Clint Smith, uh, the, the campus pastor at uh, Missouri City Campus and I were talking and, and it was, he was talking about a small group at Missouri City. In all of our campuses, th- there's all kinds of groups. There's some groups that meet on Sunday morning for an hour right here in one of the rooms. There are some people that meet at the church on a different night, but at the church. There are others that meet in homes. We, we have a hybrid kind of model and his group meets in his home. And he was telling me about his small group and what God is doing, bringing these individuals together of getting to know each other and love each other and be there for each other and pray for each other. And what is happening, he says, it's the greatest small group I've ever been with in my entire life. And and it's crazy because last week, Pastor Bruce Ammons of the Sugarland campus was telling me the same about his home group that meets at his house and what God is doing in the hearts and the lives of people that he is meeting with and what is happening. This is what happens in small groups and it's happening maybe in your small group in which you're getting to know others, you're, 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 you're living life together and that is there's power in that. And if you haven't started that, if you haven't gotten involved in a small group, you need to do this. You need this. And that's why you go to the Next Step Center at the Sugarland campus is that way. Wherever it is on your campus, go to the Next Step Center and online. You need a small group, a support group. And the third thing is this with your supportive relationships, go to God in prayer. I, I would have changed the order. I would have said go to God in prayer and then go to your group. Daniel went to his group and then they all together got down in prayer together. And it was the right thing. And you know why? Because when they got down on their knees together to pray to the same God, there was a sense of power in that moment. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be in their midst. I will be present with you. He wasn't trying to get collective wisdom from them. He was trying to bring them together so they could hear from the God of the universe. The fourth is this. The first is get the information. The second is be in a group of people that are like-minded and like-hearted. And the third is get down on your knees and pray when there is an issue that's come up in your life. And the fourth one is this, don't stop praying until you have received either a provision or a promise from God either provision or a promise from God. Maybe it takes minutes, maybe it takes months, but don't stop. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. The Bible says in James chapter five, verse 16, the effective fervent, 
prayer of a righteous man avails much. Uh, Same is true for a righteous woman. Same is true for a righteous teenager. Same is true for a righteous child who are living, who are striving, not perfect, but living for God. But the key word isn't the word man. The key word is the word fervent. The word fervent means stretched to the limit. Literally, that's the definition of the word. Stretched to the limit. And it's the word picture of your hands are tied with a rope and it connected to one thing. Your feet are tied by another rope connected to another thing. And those two things are going in opposite directions. And I'm going to tell you, the moment that starts happening, you get fervent. That's the whole idea. Stretch to the limit. I'm serious, God. I got to have a miracle. Learn how to pray with that level of intensity. And don't stop praying until you've received the provision, the answer, or a promise that it's coming. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I pray. I've had times in which I prayed and it wasn't long and the answer was there and yay God, here we go. And God has answered the prayer. But most of the time, many of the times, God is saying to me, no, I, I, I've got some other things I'm wanting to do in your life and I like the fact that you are in a vice right now and I'm going to let this concentration time in your life produce something. But he gives me a promise But let me tell you, if the time is right, here's what I'm going to do. I don't know how many times I've gotten a promise. What do you mean, getting a promise? I'm talking about a promise out of his word. And I'm talking, all the promises of God are yes for Christ's followers. But I'm talking about a promise that seems to leap up out of the page and grab hold of me and say, I am your promise. And that is called a rhema, R-H-E-M-A. It is a word from God that grabs you and says, I am yours. You can trust this. And there have been times in which I've been praying. I've been going through my quiet time. See, when you don't have a quiet time, you're not in God's word. The rhema, the word from God's going to come out of his word. You're shortchanging yourself. This is why you've got to get into the Bible. And when you are reading through, God will take a verse out of nowhere. It seems to just pop out and it grabs hold of you. And it is God's word, God's promise for this moment. And I can't even begin to tell you how many times it's happened in my life. And now it has not, the provision hasn't materialized, but I already know it will. I've already gotten the promise. I've already gotten the word, the rhema, and I know it's coming. Why does God tell us to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying for crying out loud, I've already prayed once. I don't know. All I know is that Jesus said, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, and you keep going until I release you. That's what he has said. Do you remember the parable that Jesus gave of that widow? Woman that, and, and the parable is there is this uh, old, older woman. She doesn't have much any money. She can't bribe the judge to do what she needs to have done. She goes to the judge. The judge is not a righteous man. He says, I don't care about you. He totally ignores her. Well, the only resource this woman has is persistence. So she comes back to the judge the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. He says, don't ever come back here. I don't even want to talk to you ever again. And the next day she's back and the next day she's back and the next day she's back. And finally he says, okay, 
If you will stop coming back, I'll give you anything you want. What do you need? Come on, let's just get this done. And Jesus said, that's what God wants us to do. He's not an unrighteous judge. He's not the one that says, I don't want to hear from you again. But Jesus is the one that uses the story, the parable. And he says, God is saying to you, keep coming back to me. Keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. Why? I don't know. Except there is no other way to get us dependent on him sometimes because we're so full of ourselves sometimes that sometimes he just says, I'm just going to put you in a situation you can't fix. And you just keep coming back to me and keep coming back to me. And while you're in a vice, I'm going to change a few things in your life. And then when it's done, he releases the provision. Now, when he releases the provision... When God gives you a promise or a provision, respond to him in praise. When in our story, when God told, God told Daniel, he gave Daniel a vision. Here is, here in this vision, here's the dream, here's the interpretation. And did you know he didn't immediately run to Nebuchadnezzar? You know what he did? He immediately went on his knees and thank God. Because the first thing that we need to do is praise God. When God has given us that rhema, when God has given us that dream, that vision. Let, let me explain that. There are two things that the Bible talks about. God gives dreams in which he reveals his word. That's what he is doing with Nebuchadnezzar. I've had a lot of dreams, very vivid dreams. I've had a ton of dreams. I don't think he's ever given me a word through a dream. I dream all the time. I have great dreams. I have not so great dreams. But I have don't, I've never had a sense that any of those were the voice of God in my life. Others have. I've heard their stories. It sounds reasonable to me. But there is a second thing. One is a dream while you're asleep. The second one is a vision and you are not asleep. You are wide awake. And it's as though the presence of God, the known presence of God comes right there with you. And God speaks a word in your heart. And I have had those. Okay, I knew he was very weird. And now there's evidence of it. He's got us having visions. I've had some visions in my life. One of the visions that I had was as a new pastor at Sugar Creek, just here a few weeks, and uh, all of, and I'm on my I'm in my car, I'm on my way to work on Monday, and it was as though God had come and into my car. I know theology; He's everywhere. He was already in my car, but I'm talking about a sense of known presence in my car. And it is then I heard in my heart because I knew something weird was happening. I was driving the car. Something has just happened. And I said, God, what is going on? I had tears coming down my cheeks. It was, I, what's going on? And I heard in my heart God say to me, I want you to begin to pray that Sugar Creek Baptist Church look like Sugar land. I knew what that meant. This is the most, one of, if not the most ethnically diverse counties in America. I'd never been in an environment like this. I've never seen it, never heard of it. But all of a sudden, here we are, and it's just an astounding thing. And I heard him say to my heart, 
pray that Sugar Creek be changed to look like this region. And you know why? I know why. So that we'll reach the region. You can't reach the region if you don't look like the region. But I didn't know how to do that. He didn't say come up with a solution. He didn't say strategize. I shared this with a handful of people knowing I'm brand new. They're going to think you're a weirdo. I knew that. I knew this was going to happen. But I shared it with a group of people and said, and I said, well, listen, can we just pray? I know it's weird. We got on our knees and prayed. I felt like I'd been released. No strategy. I wouldn't know how to do it if, even if I had to. I wouldn't know how to do it. And all of a sudden, the total transformation happened as low as this, this, this as, like there's a, this giant magnet on the top of the roof of now all of our campuses, just drawing people from every background, every nation. We had people from 90 different nations in this church, 70 different languages. I've never heard of such a thing. There was no strategy. There was a vision. And I did what the vision said, prayed. That's the sum total. God gave to Daniel a vision. And then what, he, what did he do? Got on his knees and he thanked God. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through him, meaning Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. We can speak words. I mean, we can think words of praise to God and it's, there's nothing wrong with that, but there is something more powerful when we speak it. When we, our brain hears our mouth speaking the words of praise to God, there is something more powerful. I don't understand that either, but there is something that happens and that's what Hebrews is telling us to do. Here's the last one. Give credit to God publicly to others. Credit to God publicly to others. Daniel appears to Nebuchadnezzar. And, and here's what happens. Verse 26, the king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he is asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And then Daniel laid it all out. Here was your dream. Here's the interpretation of it. And as soon as the king heard the dream, he recognized it. Yes, that, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's what I dreamt. And here's the interpretation of it. But listen, Daniel did not say, and am, am I amazing? Or I'm the man, right? Am I incredible? Look at me. I deserve a raise now. I deserve a promotion. I'm the big guy. He didn't do that. He gave all glory to God. All glory to God. I'm told that when a submarine is finished being built, it leaves the dry dock, it goes down, they fix things and the water, then they go down to the level that the submarine was built to be in, the level, the depth of the ocean. Why? Because the pressure. The deeper you go in the ocean, the greater the pressure goes all the way to where it was designed to withstand. And then what happens? It starts having leaks. It starts popping, whatever it pops. And these things start happening and they go through the whole, they don't, they don't get scared as long as it's not filling up. But they, they, they write all the things wrong. They write them all down. They make a list. We're down here. We're in the pressure. Now we go back up and we fix everything that we saw 
that happened when the pressure was on. God has no intention of destroying you in this pressure. He has you in pressure. He has no intention of destroying you. He has an intention of honing down your life because it's only in the pressure that things pop, that things start leaking, that you begin to see where do I need to grow? How do I become stronger? It is under the pressure that that happens. Not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to build you. Respond like Daniel and see what God will do in your life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. Oh, we need you. And God, there's some that are listening to me. They don't even know Jesus as Savior, but they're curious. They're, they're tuning in. They're, 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 they're wondering. And oh God, may this be the moment that your spirit draws them to yourself and that they, this be the day of salvation in their heart. And Father, I pray for those on all of our campuses that are listening to this message right now. God, you have a reason, a purpose for all of this happening in their life. And I pray, Father, whoever they are, the youngest child, the oldest adult, and everybody in between, that you would use this moment to grow us, to deepen us, to help us, to make us stronger. This pressure, not to destroy us but to build us and grow us and teach us how we can trust you there is a God in heaven and oh God move our heart to see you as our source we pray in Jesus name amen